thanks for having me out today. And I'm going to continue on and actually wrap up this series that you've been in, All the Feels, uh, with the message today. And I want to encourage you to take some notes, uh, whether you've got uh, something to write on with you or you're going to take notes on your phone. Write down something that jumps out at you today, something where you're like, I've not thought about it that way before. I want to take that home. I want to tweet that out. I might want to get a lower back tattoo of that quote later. I don't know what you want to do with it. It's, that's for you. Just write it down accurately is all I'm asking. And the title of my message today is hashtag runs in the family. Hashtag runs in the family. Anybody got some stuff that runs in the family, in your family? Some of you are with your family and you're like, yeah, we'll talk later because they're here. So it's going to be weird. <clears throat> um, I've, I've been married now for 17 years uh, to my wife, Gretchen, and uh, like, man, if you knew more about me, that would seem like a bigger deal. Like, wow, she has really stuck it out with you. That's incredible. Um, and uh, we have three kids together, and I actually brought a picture so you know I'm not making these people up um, that I brought with me, and this is my family right here, and so this is my wife, Gretchen, and uh, these are my three kids. This is Tegan right here, and she is 10 now. And then this is Cohen, and he is just about to turn nine. And then Zeke is seven. And then this is our, our cat, Matza. I know you, some of you are judging me that we have a cat. <laughs> You're like, I thought you said this guy was a good guy. Why are we even here? We'll come back next week. I don't trust this person. Yeah, we have a cat, okay? And I like it. We like it. We have two cats, actually. I'm just going to be real with you guys. And they're awesome. We love them. They bring a lot of depth and meaning to my life. I like them. Sometimes they like me. I don't know. I mean, sometimes they just pee on my pillow for no reason. We're working it out. It's a complicated thing, okay? But one of the things that you should know about my family is that uh, we, we just we sing a lot. Like, we just walk around and sing all the time in our house. We always have. It, it really, a lot of it stems from my wife because she's always sang, and she's got a beautiful voice, and she loves singing. And so um, when I, anytime I'm coming home from work or walking around in my house, there's just singing echoing through the halls of our house, whether it's just like a, a worship song that she just heard or like, like basically any track from The Greatest Showman she's singing at our house. Um, like all our kids know all the, the words to all the songs from La La Land. They're just, they love musicals. They're just all about it. Or, or sometimes it's just like a, a, a throwback 90s uh, R&B dance jam, you know. I'll come home and my wife's just vacuuming and just singing like, this is how we do it. And she's gone, I'm like, this is how we do it. All right like watching you clean. So, what, what's happening? I blacked out for a second. What, what's going on? And just a lot of singing. My kids sing a lot too. Uh, my daughter, Tegan, is just, she's in musical theater already, and she gets singing lessons, and she does all this. She's in a dance class right now, and uh, just loves it. And so I'll come home, and frequently my kids are putting on, like, entire musical productions, like very elaborate things. Um, for a while they were on this stint. I came up a couple times, and they were doing musical numbers from the musical Annie. You guys remember that one? And um, they would be just, like, full costuming. You know, she'd convince her little brothers to dress like, you know, small orphan girls. And they're, like... <laughs> And they've, she's gotten soot from the plier place and rubbed it on their face. And they're doing all this choreography with these brooms. And it's just very elaborate. It's one of those things where you walk in and you're like, that's cute. And then you're like, this is actually pretty good. Like, you should take this on the road, you know. And my wife's there and she's dressed up as Miss Hannigan. She's like a little drunk. And it's just like a whole thing, right? 
that, part, that last part's not true, okay? So you're like, that doesn't sound like a safe environment for children, okay? Um, but they're doing this whole deal, and so it's just a part of our lives. And one of the things that we do that's like a little bit quirky for us, it seems normal because we've just always done it, is we, we sing songs about things that uh, like we find annoying. Like if we're frustrated about something, we don't like something, we put it into a song. Because I just feel like griping, complaining, bitterness, it just it softens the blow when it's just in a nice show tune, you know? <laughs> and so if there's something we don't want to do, like for instance, you know, there's, a, on occasion, on Friday night, I'll be like, what are we doing tomorrow? And my wife will be like, we're going to, tomorrow is the day we're going to do the yard. We're going to, like, cut down the tree. We're going to spend all day doing that. And I'm like, that's not really what I had in mind. You know, that doesn't sound good for me. Uh, but I don't say that, you know. I sing it, you know. <laughs> I, I, I sing something like, I don't want to spend my Saturday cleaning up the yard. I would rather drown myself in a vat of lard. And then... Like, she knows, right? She knows, like, I don't think he wants to do this, but, like, in a fun way, you know? And it, all the time. And so, and because we do this so much, like, now, our, like, our kids are starting to do it. They're, like, picking it up from us. And so we'll be, we try to eat healthy at my house. And so, you know, our kids will be sitting at the table, and we'll serve them. And one of the kids will just break out in song, trying to let us know they do not enjoy this meal, you know? Like, I don't want to eat this broccoli. But I also don't want to go to bed early. <laughs> and I'm like, that was a stretch, but I'm going to give you points for that, right? <laughs> and we laugh, right? Because it's just our family. It's just kind of what we do. And then I still make that kid eat the broccoli, right? Like, and it's just kind of how we are. The issue is that it's like it's starting to get a little out of hand because this thing that was just kind of something we did in our family is now starting to ripple out and like go other places. It's starting to travel a little bit. Like this thing that it was just like just us. We didn't think to be like, we just do that at home. That's just us, right? Like, we don't tell people about that outside of here. And so what happened was, a little while back, I got pulled aside by one of my son's teachers who was just like, Mr. Smith, um, that's never good when somebody's like, Mr. Smith, it's never awesome. Like, you just won a million dollars. It's never that. It's like, usually by my kids, they're like, you know, I had to get on to one of your sons today. I went up to him, and he was kind of goofing off, and I was trying to get him to focus. And when I asked him to please focus in on his work, he told me that he thought the assignment was stupid and I should go take a nap. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> and then she goes, well, actually, he sang it. <laughs> Which is funny, right? I mean, just picturing that, there are moments as a parent where you're like, you want to just be like, that's kind of funny, though, right? I mean, just, I mean, I know we're doing a thing where it's like, that's not good, but like a little bit, <laughs> right? But I didn't do that. I was just like, oh, wow, you know? And, um, and so, and I, I just, I had this sinking feeling like in my gut of just like, ah, you know, partially because I'm like, that doesn't even rhyme. I mean, that's just not even good song construction. And I feel like we've raised you better than that, you know? But also a little bit because it's just like, ah, uh, like I, I don't want them to conduct themselves like that in public. I don't, like I'm bummed that it's inappropriate, like that my, my kid would do that and say that and treat a teacher like that. And, and then the teacher said something that really stung. She was like, she goes, do you know where he might have gotten that? <laughs> and I was like, hmm, I don't, wow. Uh, <laughs> YouTube, I don't know. I mean, like. 
it's like kids have access to so much these days, but we will, we will be looking into it, okay? We're going to CSI this, okay? I'm going to get to the bottom of it, right? And then we're driving home, and I'm like, what are you doing, man? That's like family secret stuff. You can't be like doing all that out in the places, you know, like just wrecking everything. And I, I bring this up because I wonder if you've ever had moments like this where you realize that something you do has rubbed off on somebody around you in a way that's maybe not so great. If you ever had that moment, maybe as a parent you've had the moment. Maybe you just like in your friend group, you're just like, ooh, I do that a little bit. I wonder where they got that from. And it makes you feel uncomfortable because it's kind of, it's somehow stuck to them in a way that you weren't planning on, in a way that you didn't intend. And now they're kind of known by this trait that you didn't set out to give them, but they got it anyway. And now it's a part of who they are. And I, I think a lot of life happens this way. Like my wife and I never made a plan and set out to teach our children to deal with their problems through improving musical theater. Like we didn't like have a session on that. It just happened. They just kind of picked it up. And, and you're this way in life as well. I mean, that's one of the things that is so fun for me coming to the well when I'm here. And you may not know this, but I'm like, these people are just like Jason, right? Because <laughs> I've known him for so long, you know? And I'm just like, and you don't know it. You're just like, this is just the culture. This is kind of how everybody is. And I'm like, no, no, no. You guys are like him. And I'm looking around. I'm seeing some guy, you know, clapping really loud during a part. And I'm like, I don't think this is a clap part. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that that's what this is. But he's like somebody else is doing it. Where, where did they get that? Jason does that. He's always done that. He's always done that thing. And I'm like, these people, they're him. You know what I mean? They're all, he's multiplying himself around. And it's awesome. And I love it. You know, it's just, it's so great to see. But this happens too. Like we, we, we have this way of kind of rubbing off on the people around us. I, I think that so much of who we are isn't necessarily who we set out to be. Like, some of us, we are actually the opposite in a lot of areas of how we wish we were. And we want to be different. We want to get to there. But we're here, and we don't even know how we got to here. We're like, how did this happen? Like, how did I, why did I start talking this way? Why did I start treating people this way? Or, or behaving in this way? Or thinking this way? Like, where did all this come from? The truth is, most of the habits that are holding your life together are, are more caught than taught. Another way to say it would be, we tend to imitate what we're immersed in. We tend to imitate what we're immersed in. Like if you're surrounded by something all the time, you just pick it up. Like you begin to display that behavior, that lingo, that attitude, and it just comes out of you. Like we, we tend to think and act and respond and eat and value and spend and see the world the way the people closest to us do. And for a lot of us, that's our family. Right? For, for some of us, that's our close friend group that almost feels like family. You got those sorts of people in your life where it's like, they're basically family. You're like, is that really your cousin? You're like, no, no, no. Like, we don't, are you serious? We don't even look anything alike. But it's basically, and you, like who you are in a large part is defined by those people that you have surrounded yourself with. And what I think is crazy is that behavioral science actually now tells us that the core of the core patterns that frame kind of how we approach our life for the rest of our life. A lot of these things are cemented in by about eight years old. Now that to me when I hear that is both interesting and frightening, okay, because I have a 10-year-old daughter, right, and I'm just like, sorry, you know, I don't, 
we didn't know. I wish I would have read this book sooner, you know. We're going to basically focus our time and attention on your brothers now. It's too late for you. It's too late for you, okay? Good luck with your life and whatever you're going to do, you know. I don't know. We tried. We just didn't. I wish we would have heard this sermon before, you know. I don't, we didn't know. To an extent, like, we are all products of our environment. And this means that, like, much of the way that you respond to life was formulated by the way that, that you were parented. And much of the way your kids will respond to life is being formulated right now by the way you parent. And I want you to think about that, those of you that are parents in the room. And for those of you that aren't parents yet, like, maybe you've wondered, like, why am I the way that I am? These things that bother me about me, these things in my life that never work out the way I want them to, these things about me that I've tried to change and I can't seem to change, and it seems like they run way, way deep, where are they coming from? And that's what I want to talk about today. And we're going to do so by looking at just one family, and we're going to start like here, and then we're just going to rewind a little bit, and rewind a little bit, and rewind a little bit, and just like, where did that come from? And where did that come from? And where did that come from? And I think we can make some observations that will help us in the way that we form our lives. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to start in verse 18 together, and it says this, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. This gets super dark, by the way. It's a little rated R for just a minute. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. I mean, it's a little, it's rough, okay? By the way, if you ever just need to feel better about the way your kids talk to and treat each other, just read the Bible, you guys. They're, like, my kids are mean to each other sometimes, but my sons have never gotten together and been like, let's kill our sister Tegan, and put her in a box, and tell our parents that some rats ate her. You know, it's like, whoa, that's, that's messed up, right? But, like, what's weird is that kind of stuff happens in the Old Testament all the time, you guys. Like, all the time. Like, th then this would be disturbing just as a conversation, but what makes it more disturbing is that it's not just a conversation. They fully, genuinely intend to kill this kid, which makes me think this. What would have to happen in someone's life that made that seem like a viable option? That made like that seem like that is the only way out of this thing? Like, what's wrong with these kids? Like, that's their little brother. Like, where did all the hate and bitterness and rage come from? Like, how did this, this seething sense of violence end up on the surface of their lives? And the reality of it is, you'll never get to the source of someone's dysfunction only looking at them. You have to look at the system they grew up in. You've got to bring the whole thing into question. You've got to put it all under a microscope because everything is interconnected. A better question than what's wrong with them is what about their upbringing produced that trait in them? Well, let's look. If you rewind the story, just the beginning of the chapter, Genesis chapter 37, just go back to verses 3 and 4. It says this, Jacob, who's the dad of, of these brothers that we just read about, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Not trying to hide it, right out there in the open. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. And so one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers 
hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word about him. And can I, I tell you something? Joseph's brothers weren't mad at him. They were mad at their dad. They took it out on him. That's what's actually happening here. Their father's favoritism fostered in them such insecurity and inferiority that it gave birth to jealousy, which gave birth to rage, which gave birth to violence. The kids were the way they were because the father was the way he was. And there was this cloud of hurt just sort of hovering over the family. And everyone was aware of it, but no one addressed it. And the reality is, Joseph's brothers, they weren't angry and violent because their father was angry and violent, because he wasn't. They resorted to those behaviors to cope with the feeling that their father didn't love them. That he didn't want them. That they were invisible to the one person they desperately wanted to be seen by. And what happens is sometimes you pass on your issue and sometimes your issue mutates into something new. And that's what's happened in this family. Now you may not realize this, but everything you do is producing something in the people around you. But the same behavior will produce different things in different people because people are different. I don't know if you've realized this, that like, those of you that are parents, not all your kids are the same, you know? Maybe you're like in your junior high, high school years, and you're like, they treat us the same. We're not the same. We're super different, right? And there's a confusion as you're trying to, to parent kids where you're just like, I don't get it. Like, we raised them all the same, and this one, it's turned out so good, right? This one is like not, not as good, you know? I don't want to say bad, your words, but like it's just like not... You know, he's in prison right now, but it's like, I just feel like something, what, what happened? I don't get it. Like, what's going on? Well, how come they reacted so much differently than this other? And the reason is because parenting isn't one size fits all. Because relationships aren't one size fits all. The question is, are you relationally aware enough to see what, your, what behaviors your behavior is producing in those around you? Are you a relationally aware enough to see what behaviors your behavior is producing in the people around you? Because Jacob wasn't. And so why, why did Jacob, Joseph's dad, do what he did? Well, Jacob had a twin brother named Esau, and their dad's name was Isaac. And so if we rewind the story a little bit more, we get to Genesis chapter 25, verse 27. And this is what it says about like Joseph's dad's, Jacob's upbringing. Verse 27, it says, As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau more. Anybody picking up a trend? Because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. What like a shallow reason to like a kid more? You like him more? Why is that? And it's like, he's a good, he has good meat that he brings us he has the best beef jerky that's I, I don't know you made me say a reason that's what it is okay but Rebecca loved Jacob more so you have it in both sides of the family this season of the story favoritism runs in the family 
And the deeper you dive into this family, the more dysfunction you find. What's interesting to me is trying to think about how it must have felt to have grown up and been Jacob. Like knowing there's only two kids in my family, I'm the second favorite. You mean the least favorite? You know what? You frame it your way. I do it mine. I, I just how, how would that have felt to have been that kid growing up and just knowing, having it it's just been so obvious that, like, your dad doesn't love you like he loves the other one. That you're not what he wanted. That you're not what he expected. That the other one has the traits and the personality and the makeup of, of, of what he wanted in a kid, but you're not... You're not that. I just imagine Jacob growing up just thinking, like, I hate this. This hurts so bad. Like, it keeps me awake at night. I just wonder, like, what if I, if I did this or if I changed this or if I did this about myself? Like, if he would like me more, if he would love me more, and it never works no matter what I do. It's just not enough. It's never good enough. And I would never, I would never, ever want to do anything that would make anybody else feel the way he makes me feel. And here's the crazy part, though. When that kid grows up, he does the same thing to his 12 sons that his dad did to him. Because the reality of it is that we tend to imitate what we're immersed in, even if it's not someone we want to be. We don't reproduce who we wish we were. We reproduce who we actually are. And so Jacob played favorites because his father Isaac played favorites. And so why did Isaac's father play favorites? Well, Isaac had a brother too. His name was Ishmael. And their father was a guy named Abraham, Father Abraham. And he had many sons and many sons <laughs> had this father. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just want to know where the church, like people who came up in church were. That's just my way of just weeding you out. People that are just like, right on. Oh, we're not doing the whole. Okay. And so this is his dad. They have the same dad, different moms. And this is the story that unfolds with him. If we rewind all the way back to Genesis chapter 21, verse 8, it says, When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham, his father, prepared a huge feast to celebrate. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, her Egyptian servant, Hagar, making fun of her son, Isaac. And so she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. There's a lot of deep stuff going on here. But basically, you have two brothers, and the dad throws a party for the younger one that he never threw for the older one. And so what happens? The one who gets the party makes fun of the one... The one who doesn't get the party makes fun of the one who does get the party. And why would he do that? Jealousy, insecurity, hurt, rejection. It's a defense mechanism. And the mom of the boy getting made fun of because of her own insecurity, she wants that kid punished. In fact, she demands it and she throws a racial slur in just to punctuate her anger. And the dad, Abraham, is afraid to stand up to his own wife. And so he gives in and he sends the, the older boy and his mother out into the desert alone to die. And if you read through the life of Abraham, you realize that it is a decision that haunts him for the rest of his life. It's something that he can never shake. 
He regrets it. So Abraham's favorite son Isaac grows up and has a favorite son Esau who's manipulated by his rejected brother Jacob who has a favorite son Joseph who's beaten half to death and sold into slavery by his rejected brothers. This one unchecked issue rippled out and rips apart four generations of the same family. Because everybody knew it, but nobody addressed it. And here's what this points to. Whatever issue you won't confront in you will corrupt your family too. Whatever issue you won't confront in you will corrupt your family too. Maybe you're at a place where you're like, I don't have my own family yet. Think about it this way. Whatever issue you won't, corrupt, you won't confront in you will corrupt your friend group too. Whatever issue you won't confront in you will corrupt your company too. Whatever issue you won't confront in you will corrupt your whole city too. Because it all begins on an individual level of like, ah, something's not right there. We don't want to rock the boat. You know, we don't want to create any problems around here. It's just the way dad is. Just keep your mouth shut. It'll all be fine. Also, we should kill our brother. <laughs> Stuff him in a well. What? This stuff mutates. Listen to this. Lamentations chapter 5, verse 7. This is way back in the Old Testament. Listen to this idea. It's the same thing. It says, Our ancestors sinned, but they've died, and we're suffering the punishment they deserved. You ever feel that about your own life? Like, I'm suffering the consequences of something that didn't even start with me. Like, this was what was handed to me. It runs in the family. And nobody talks about it. Like, no, nobody will just have a real conversation. I mean, maybe some of us do in therapy by ourselves. But, like, nobody, like, maybe at the Thanksgiving table, like, in, like, some sort of a sarcastic jab that's thrown across at somebody else. But, like, not in a deep, meaningful, like, what is going on and what can we do about it way. Because the reality of it is, like, I'm the way I am because mom was the way she was. You're the way you are because dad was the way that he is because we came up in this stuff. It's all a part of us. And that thing that they did, that I hated, that I said I would never do, I do it. It's the same issue. It's just mutated in a way that's new. Because we all just tend to imitate what we're immersed in, whether we like it or not. And maybe for you, it comes out in the way you eat, or the way you spend money, or the way you deal with disappointment, or the way you choose romantic partners, or the way you hide from your problems, or the way that you think about God, or the church, or life, or yourself, or what you think you're capable of, or what you think you deserve out of life. But it's there. And the question is, like, are, what, I mean, are we all just doomed to continue living out the same issues over and over again, generation after generation? Yes. It's closing prayer. There's no hope. <laughs> right? Now, here's the thing. This answer is complicated because it's actually twofold. Yes, unless someone breaks the cycle. That's the real answer. Yes, unless someone breaks the cycle. 
And I would say if you look at this particular story, you could argue that the person who received the brunt of the mistreatment due to the cycle of favoritism, insecurity, anger in, in his family was Joseph. And they didn't end up killing him. Okay, they, they beat him, they sold him into slavery because he was dad's favorite. And he lived a rough life, like full of, you know, forced labor and beatings and stints of near starvation, prison sentences that he lived out for years for crimes he didn't commit. And then through this weird, strange chain of events, he ends up the second most powerful person in the most plentiful place on earth during a time when every bordering nation was in a drought. And guess who comes to beg for his help and don't know it's him? His brothers. The people who decades earlier ruined his entire life. And now they're standing on the other side of the room and they have no power and he has all the power. It's reversed because when he was coming up, they had all the power and he had none of the power and they used it to hurt and wound and abuse and injure him. And now the roles were reversed, and I wonder, like, what ran through that guy's mind? You ever, you ever, like, encountered someone that, like, you knew back in the day, and you didn't leave things on good terms, and you hoped that you never saw them again, but then you do see them, and, like, in your head, you have that, you get, like, flop sweat, and you're, like, you're nervous, and you feel like you're going to throw up, and you're angry and scared at the same time, and in your brain, you run through all of these scenarios of, like, what you could or should say to them. I just wonder, like, what was that? What was that in Joseph's head? Imagine him just thinking like, do you, do you even know like what you put me through? I, I, I get it. Like, you, like your life wasn't great for you and it was hard for you, but you took it out on me. I was just some kid. And, and yeah, like I've had plenty of time to think about it and like, I was stupid and immature and I shot my mouth off, but I was just doing stuff that kids do. I didn't know any better. And you mistreated me and it has messed my entire life up. You have no idea the pain that I've suffered through, the dysfunction that I keep recreating in all of my relationships because of the thing that you did and said to me. The wounds that like won't go away, the nights that I stayed awake Staring at the ceiling, like trying to put it out of my mind, trying to let it go, hating you, but not wanting to be a hateful person, hating what this thing did to me, like thinking like if I ever saw you again, like what would I do? What would I say? How would I treat you? And now the moment's here. And he does something that every time I read it, it just like, it shocks and surprises me. Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph's talking. He says, please come closer. He said to them, and they, they came closer, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. You know, they were like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I imagine just the room getting so quiet. I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. And then, like, listen to this. This blows my mind. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves 
for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. There's, there's certain words in my Bible I've read over and over and over again because I'm like, is that really what it it says, like, that can't be what is going on. Like, it just, that reaction is just so far from anything I would ever naturally want to do. It just, it doesn't even make sense to me. It's so profound. I, I, like, I, that is not a normal human response to everything he's been through. I, 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 and I don't know if I've just seen too many revenge movies. It's like, <laughs> Liam Neeson would never do that, Ever. <laughs> Like I've seen all of the all fifteen of the takens. It's not. It never goes down like that. Just busting in the room. Don't be upset. Okay, it's gonna be okay. Never. That's not his particular set of skills. Okay. And this is shocking to me here because Joseph, in this moment, he he doesn't blame shift. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't seek revenge. He sees the bigger picture, and he stops the cycle. As if to say to them, you did to me what you did to me because of what was done to you. And I have suffered a lot because of it, but I know that you inflicted it on me because you are suffering. And God opened my eyes to see what's actually going on here, to see what we are doing to each other. And I think the reason why he did that is so I can put a stop to it. So not one more person has to suffer like we have. All the favoritism, all the rage, all the lashing out is finished. It's done. Right here with me today. And I wonder if that sounds familiar to you because... It's a foreshadowing of Jesus who unfairly paid the price for the sins of humanity, who absorbed the destructive nature of our anger and insecurity and violence and hung on a cross and died. And in that moment, there was no blame shifting, no retaliation, no attempt at revenge. Jesus sees the bigger picture and he stops the cycle. And in that moment, he looks up at the skies and he screams, it is finished. You know, in the, in the early church, the Christians, some of the first Christians, they had this nickname for Jesus. They called him the second Adam. Because in their minds, the first Adam um, in the Garden of Eden started a sin cycle that cursed his family, all of mankind for generations. But Jesus, the second Adam, put a stop to it and started something new. And this is the question that I have for you wherever you find yourself today, what kind of Adam are you? Like in your family, in your workplace, at your school, in your friend group, what kind of Adam are you? Are you the one who, because of everything that you've been through, you feel justified in paying that forward to other people? You push all that out. Maybe you don't even realize you're doing it, but you're like, you know what, it was hard for me. I wasn't treated well. Are you the kind of person that is going to take everything that occurred in your life that was negative and evil, that held you under, that hurt you, 
and distorted and mutated who you have become? And are you going to perpetuate that into the people around you? Or are you going to be the second kind of Adam, like Jesus, like Joseph, who looks at the situation and says, because of what God has done for me, because of who Jesus is to me, because Jesus took all of the stuff that I've done and all the dysfunction in me and all the hate and the hurt that I've put out into the world and he absorbed that into himself and instead of, uh, of attacking me, of shaming me, Jesus took it all in and in exchange gave me new life, grace, a new start, a new beginning, something else altogether. You have a choice. What's it going to be? Let me tell you something. The issue that's plagued your family for years may not have begun with you, but it can end with you. Because not everything that was passed to you has to pass through you. You can stop the cycle. You can start a new tradition. You can leave a different inheritance. You can allow God to show you the big picture and you can lead the people around you into better patterns. And let me tell you something, that is why this church exists. Because I know your pastors. And the reason why you found life and light and hope here is because two people that didn't grow up in a system that always was perfect and awesome and treated them well, they said, if I ever get to be in a place where I have influence and authority, I'm going to pay something different forward to the people that come after me. And you get to come up in a place that is different, that is better, that is more evolved, that looks more like Jesus. And you will never even know some of those stories because they absorb those things and refuse to pass it on to you. I remember talking to this guy on the plaza of my church after Sunday service one day, he's like in his 70s and he had his whole family there with him and he was telling me about how much our church had meant to him and, and how much Jesus had changed his life. And he started to tell me the story about where he'd come from and how he came up and the dysfunction and the abuse that he came out of and all the pain it cost him and, the, and then like how he coped with it and the cycles of addiction that he had to wrestle through. And as he's telling me this, I'm looking at his two adult children who are there and they're like 40s and they're looking at him and I realize in this moment He's telling me a story they've never heard. I'm learning about their family at the same time they are, and they're, they start to cry when they hear all that their father had been through. And, and the, one, the one adult child speaks up and says, Dad, I, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of the things in that story. I didn't know all that you'd been through. I didn't know you went through that. I didn't know you battled through that. I didn't know that you were treated that way. And he said, I didn't want you to. I just decided that I wanted something different. I wanted to pass on something different. I wanted to pay forward something different. And so I connected my life to Jesus. And because he absorbed all of my pain and my sin and my shame, I decided that I was going to be able to do the same thing for you. And there are things that I have been through that you will never know anything about because I 
was able through Jesus to gift you a clean slate, a fresh start, a new beginning. And I'll just tell you, man, you cannot do that without Jesus. Like I'm shocked every time I read the Jesus story, every time I read the Joseph story, because it is not normal. I get Liam Neeson. I get that. I understand revenge. I understand fighting back. I understand getting all the power and going back to the people who abused you with their power and putting them in their place. I get that. I don't understand the Jesus way that says I have all the power and I lay it down. I lay my life down to give you who do not deserve something better, something better. To those who hurt me and those who I say I am the umbrella that protects them from being hurt in the way that I was hurt. And you have the ability to do something new. And I'm saying if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, the company that you work at, the school you go to, the cycles of sexism and racism and classism, all of these things that hold you down and hold you under, you can fight the human way or you can fight the Jesus way. And that's why I want to pray into your life today. Because I think the well exists so that people can taste something new, something different, something other, something that's like, I've, I, I can't, how are you doing it that way? How are you, I know what you went through. How are you giving them something that's different than what you got? Jesus, I've met Jesus in a way that you just have to come and taste and drink in for yourself. And I'm going to pray that in your life today because I believe that this room was meant to be a room of second Adams who pay something forward that they never got from anybody but God and begin to transform the community in which they live because of a full submission to Jesus. And if you want that in your life, would you bow your head with me this morning as I pray that over you today? Heavenly Father, we I just humbly just admit we do not have it all together. And some of us, this stirred up so much for us today. We're thinking about the family we grew up in. We're thinking about the people that were there and how they treat us. We're thinking about the people that weren't there. The fact that we wish they were there. We're thinking about the dysfunction, the hurt, the pain, the tears. We're thinking about the ways in which all those things were mutated and been passed through us. We've caught ourselves in moments saying like, this is not who I want to be. I'm channeling other people who influenced me. I'm just, I'm just expressing, I'm, I'm, I'm echoing what, what I was immersed in for so long, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing something new today that's saying like, Jesus wants to show me a better way. God, I pray that as we open our hearts to you, that you wouldn't just expose a wound, you would heal those wounds. God, you would redeem those wounds. You would restore us. You would resurrect us anew. That when people see us, they wouldn't see the beat down version of someone who is doomed to repeat the past yet again. They would see somebody who has been born again, who is all new, who's a new creature, a new creation, who's starting a new family, a new way of being, a new way of operating, a new way of seeing people, a new way of loving people, a new way of forgiving, a new way of being in the world, a new way of serving. And God, I pray that you would make this church 
a true well for the city, for the state of Utah, God, for the city of Salt Lake, that this would be a place that people say, that's different. There's something else going on there. There's, there's something else happening there. All the people that I know that are just passing on what they were giving, if you want something new, something different, something better, something redeemed, something that when you come to the end of your life, you can be proud that you paid forward. You need to get to that place and get to know Jesus. And I pray that that would be true of this church, this place, these people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.